So the text that Thomas read for us is found at the end of Acts 2. And and we're going to get a snapshot. Luke provides us with a snapshot of the Holy Spirit-filled early church. And we see who the church is and who they're designed to be, who they're created to be from its inception. And so at the beginning of the new year, we wanted to go back to the basics and look at the basics of the church and, and see who are we? What are we created for? What are we intended? And and to realign ourselves and to recalibrate ourselves to the purpose of the church. And we're going to learn five lessons this morning from the early church. And we're going to see, you know, this Holy Spirit-filled early church, we're going to learn five lessons. And the first thing we're going to see is that they're committed. They're completely committed to the church. The second thing that that we're going to see is they live in this true biblical community. And then we're going to see that they have compassion on each other and pour out compassion on one another. They're completely satisfied and content. And then lastly, that they're living out the Great Commission. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. But before we do that, and before we go to the Word of God, will you just go with me to the God of the Word in prayer? Father, we come before you boldly, and we boldly approach your throne through your Son. And we can come to you with confidence knowing who you are and what you've done for us by sending your son Jesus. And God, today, as we kick off this new year, we're thankful and we're grateful. And Lord, we're thankful that because of Jesus, we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we never forget that. And Father, I I know and I confess this morning that Mike Craft has nothing to offer anybody. But Lord, I'm thankful for the promises of your word that when it goes forth, it doesn't return void. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, that you'd illumine our minds, um, Father, you direct my words, and Lord, that, that um, we would all explore and dive deep into your word, and that it would convict us, and that it would challenge us, and that we would live here, leave here living on mission and partnering together for the sake of your kingdom and for the glory of your Son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, as, as we read, we're at the end of Acts chapter 2, and to set the background real, real, really quickly here, Jesus had just been crucified, and um, he, he rose again. And then he came back and he was with his disciples and he was investing in them and he was teaching them and he was training them and preparing them for this next season of life and ministry. And he tells them, hey, I'm going to be with you for a short while, but then you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus makes this promise and he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And so the early believers, they're standing together and they said, okay, well, we're going to follow what Jesus says. And they go to Jerusalem and they wait for the Holy Spirit. And then, bam, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And then all sorts of crazy things start to happen. And it's, it's awesome. People start speaking in tongues. And then people around them start hearing them in their own native languages. And these awesome signs and wonders are being done. And people are going, what is going on? And so this guy, Peter, stands up and says, hey, let me explain what's happening. Jesus is the promised Messiah. His salvation has come to Israel, and now the Holy Spirit's here. And everything's changed. The Holy Spirit is a game changer, and things are starting to happen. And so that's the background of what happens. And we see Luke gives us this beautiful picture of how now the church functions. And so I just want to really quickly encourage you that, that as we study this this morning, Constantly ask ourselves, is this who we are today? Have we deviated from this? Have we gone away from this? And what's our identity as the church of Jesus Christ? And we're going to dig right in here, and I'm going to reread it in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So please turn there in your Bibles or pull it up on your phones or your iPads this morning. But it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we examine this text this morning and learn these five lessons from the early church, the first thing we see right away is that they were committed. They were committed. Verse 42 tells us to the early believers that they devoted themselves. And in the Greek, the Greek text, that word devoted means to be steadfast in one's commitment and devotion, to be faithful, completely faithful. These early believers, they were all in to the church. They didn't have one foot in and one foot out, or they weren't um, wishy-washy in their approach to church. They didn't come when they felt like it or participated when they wanted to and when it was convenient for them, but they were wholly devoted and all in. And this is a total, holistic, complete commitment that permeated their lives. And it's interesting the perspective that the early believers had on the church, and I think that really challenges the perspective that we have today. For many of us, when we hear this word commit or commitment, it kind of freaks us out. I don't know if you're, you're like me at all, but if somebody says, hey, you know what, I want you to commit to something, it's like, whoa, dude, you know, it kind of even makes our stomach churn a little bit. And why is that? It, like, it, seriously, I, I, I don't like that word. And, and it's because it oftentimes means that we have to give something up, that we have to sacrifice, or that we have to rearrange our priorities. And already we've got so many things going on in our lives and we have very little margin that when somebody says, hey, can you commit to this or commit to a community group as we're gonna talk about at the end or commit to this. And we hear that word commit, it's like, ah, I don't know. But for the early believers, it's interesting the perspective that they have on the church. It wasn't something on their to-do list. Like it wasn't like they were saying, hey, we're going to go do church. Or church wasn't about a building or going to church. Church wasn't about attending a service or about going to a community group or attending a theology night. For them, church was about their very identity, about being the body of Christ. Church was who they were. It wasn't something that they did. In this text, there's several examples of what they're committed to and their unparalleled commitment. And you just scan it real quick, but we see that it includes this firm devotion to the study of God's word by soaking up the apostles' teaching. Their unwavering commitment to fellowship, that they were devoted and committed to each other. And we're going to talk about that a lot this morning. That they were continue, continuing to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and they were constantly praying together for each other. And that they were generous and they were committed to being generous and to giving. And they were committed to the Great Commission as the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These early believers were committed completely and fully devoted. And so what about us today? What is it that we're committed to and what are our priorities and what is it, is, what is it that you're truly devoted to? You know, it's hard because sometimes I think we say we want to be committed, you know, we want to think that we're committed to something. Like if you said, Mike, what are you committed to? Well, my wife, you know, my kids, you know, my family, my, my job. But then when I look at, you know, sometimes I, I don't always invest in my wife and kids the way that I want to or the way that I think that I should. And I may not actually be as completely committed as I want to be. But if we really want to know what it is that we're committed to, 
Just ask yourself three quick things and even write this down this morning. Your, your time, how do you spend your time? Because what you do with your time is gonna tell you a lot about what you're really committed to. What do you do with your talents and the gifts that God's given you and your abilities? And because that tells you a lot about what it is that you're focused on and what you're committed to. And lastly, what do you do with your treasure? Or how do you spend your money? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart's gonna be. That's gonna tell you real quick. Analyze your checkbook and see what you're really truly committed to. Today, especially in America, we've created this culture of, of consumerism and, and our approach to the church, and we can kind of go and be involved in what we want to be involved in and, and jump in where we want to and not, where we other, um, and, and not get involved in what we don't want to get involved in. We go uh, when we want, we give when it's comfortable, and we have this tendency to do what works for us. We've, construct, we've, we've constructed a church and allowed ourselves to even be shaped by the viewpoint that church is based on preferences and our programs and something that we do rather than being the people of God and who we are. You know, I had a conversation recently with someone that really helped me understand the way that so many people, even sometimes myself included, view the church. Um, we, we love the city of San Antonio and have really enjoyed kind of exploring the city and, and staking out our favorite hangout spots. And I tell you what, it's, this weather's unbelievable. I mean, I didn't know a place like this existed coming from Chicago and Connecticut. And being in shorts on Christmas Day was pretty awesome. And so, um, but my girls, they have staked their favorite hangout spots in the city and they love the zoo. But their absolute favorite place to go is this place called Yanaguana Garden. It's in this, this new park uh, in the hemisphere section of downtown. And they love going on these climbing towers and on the merry-go-rounds. And, and they love the splash pad and these really cool slides. And, but one of their favorite things to do is to make sand castles in this sand area. And I love climbing on the towers. I love even going in the splash pad. I'll do all sorts of things with my little girls but daddy doesn't do sand. I, I, I hate sand. I hate getting it in my eyes and my ears, up my nose. They put it on my head and I just, it's just not my favorite. And so I'm more than willing to let mommy champion that and daddy will be a cheerleader watching them make their sand castles, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching my girls play in the sand and there's this guy who's watching his grandson play and we struck up a conversation and he'd been living in San Antonio for 12 years and asked me how long we've been here. And I said, you know, we just moved here. And he said, what for? And I said, church planting. And he was like, okay, that's kind of cool, like or weird. And, and so we started talking and, and, uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, are you involved in church? And he said, you know, I'm from California and I was involved when I was there because I found a church that I really liked the teaching. I really liked the teaching. And you know, I don't, I'm not really into that whole preaching thing, but I like to be taught. And, and I haven't found a church here that, that really provides me with that kind of teaching. And so, you know, I'll pop in here or maybe go there, but I'm really not involved in church. And you know, this man, like many of us today, have, have bought into this idea that church is something that we do or it's there for our own convenience and our own preferences. But for the early church, it wasn't about what they did or, or, or church wasn't something they do, but it was about who they were and they were fully committed and it was their identity. We've allowed our preferences to even construct the way we see the church or we want the church to function. We can select our church based on the preaching or the worship leader or the kids program. And if there's something we don't like, we can bail on it. But this snapshot of the early church challenges us to go back to the beginning, go back to the basics and understood that being a part of the church isn't about what we get out of it, but rather what we can put into it. 
And they weren't just committed to attendance and, and doing church, but they were committed to being the church. You know, I do have to say, and I feel like I can brag on our church this morning because I kind of came a little bit later to the game of this church plant. And I have been so impressed with the way some of you are committed. I mean, it's been amazing. And, you know, even on Sunday mornings, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's this big trailer that they, somebody pulls up and, and there are men that are here and, and to unload it and men and women that start setting up these, the children's area and setting up our chairs and, and the way that they're committed to, to um, providing for our church for Sunday morning is amazing. And the time and energy and commitment that, that you have to put into getting a church plant up and running is incredible. I mean, if you, if you haven't been over to the children's area, I want to encourage you sometime, just go pop over there because it's awesome. And these people are so committed and they're so devoted and they really are all about wanting to serve the church. And that describes many of you this morning. And if it doesn't, there's so many opportunities to serve and want to encourage you to do that. But what I think we're going to struggle with and maybe fall prey to is this idea that church is something that we do and that we can do church or help set up for church or go to our small group and community group rather than understanding that, no, 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 no. This isn't about what we do, but it's about who we are as God's people. And this is about our identity of living in the power of the Holy Spirit together. And so we see this, they were fully devoted to being the body of Christ. They were committed. The second lesson we learned this morning is that they, we just briefly touched on, but they have this incredible sense of community community. And that word also, just like commitment, can kind of elicit all sorts of different responses, right? We've got our community of San Antonio, you know, the Stone Oak community or even community groups. But this word community in, in the Greek language, it's actually probably better translated fellowship. Um, but it says that all who believe were together and had all things in common. And it's very inception. Fellowship or being together was a non-negotiable of the church. And they, they understood it was impossible for them to do church alone because they couldn't be the church alone. And for us today, we have all sorts of images that pop into our mind when we hear the word fellowship. And many of those are pretty tame. I, w- I went to a Christian college and, and uh, our guys in our dorm would have fellowship Fridays. And it would be, it consisted of playing Halo Um, eating pizza and having belching contests. And I don't think, I know this is going to be a shocker this morning, but I don't think that that's what Luke's talking about when he describes this fellowship. But it's built on the word common. And it means that they are truly together. They're sharing together. They're doing life with one another. They supported each other. And they had a high level of care and commitment to each other. For the early believer and for the early Christian To be a follower of Jesus meant to do life with other believers, and you could not separate the two. For us today, we bought into this fallacy that our relationship with God is something that can be private or privatized, and as long as me and Jesus are cool, that's really all that matters because I don't need other people. This is a major lie that has pervaded Christianity and not at all what the church was intended for. All of us, all of us, every single one of us was made in the image of God. And because of that, we were designed to be like God and we were created for fellowship and created for community because God dwells in community with himself and the persons of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're wired and we're made for and created for this community and we're designed and created for this fellowship. The early church recognized their need for it and they did life together. This morning, as Craig said, you know, this is Community Sunday at Stone Oak Bible Church and 
we're not talking about community or plugging community because this is a fad within our church. Or we're not trying to push people to community because we think it's good or we're like riving a wave in church culture and it's the new cool thing to do. But we as leadership are convicted that true biblical community is essential to being a follower of Jesus. And we want everyone who comes to our church to experience Christian community because this is an essential component of what it means to know Jesus Christ. We're not meant to do life alone, and we believe it's central and foundational to our faith is what was demonstrated in the early church. At the close of the service, Craig's going to pop up and talk a little bit more about the community groups and kind of share how things are going to function and how you can, you know, get involved in that um, because this is a huge value and what we're really all about. If you've been coming, you know, for a little while at Stone Oak, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've heard the three words, gather, scatter, and multiply. And this is really, a, community groups are one of the main ways that we do that, where we gather together even on Sunday mornings and then also in our groups, but we scatter throughout our communities, and then we want to see these groups continue to happen and people continue to experience this fellowship. But I just have to say this again. I, I'm kind of in a good spot because I can brag on the church. It would sound arrogant if Justin did it or even if Craig did it, other guys, but I came late to the game, and I have been so amazed, <clears throat> amazed by the way you all are living in community. And community groups, whether you know it or not, actually started before this church even launched because it's built on our idea of living and doing life together. And, and so the percentage of people involved in community in this church is astronomically high in comparison to other churches. And if you're not involved, this is a great place to come to be involved and to experience that community because there are so many wonderful groups um, but if you are involved in community, what I want to challenge you with today is go deeper. Go deeper. Continue to care for each other, push each other, but also figure out who can you invite into this community. All of us are surrounded by people in our neighborhoods and our workplaces that need this and are longing for it. And they may not even know it, but they were designed for this community and invite people into it because that's what we want to be about. And that's the multiplication piece is we want to invite people into this community. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I'm involved. I have a great community group. I love it. And maybe God's stirring in your heart that you need to lead a community group and you need to become more involved and pray through that. Talk to Craig. He would be thrilled if he had people come and talk to him today about how, he could, how you could be involved in community group leadership. But for the early believers, they were committed to doing life together in community. And I had a conversation you know, with someone that helped me realize that people don't get this. People don't get this. She was telling me, you know, she said, yes, I'm a Christian. And yes, we go to church, but let me tell you how my family does church. And I was like, okay, wow, all right. And she said, we, we really um, don't like having to greet people and shake hands. That kind of weirds me out. And so, you know, we'll come about 10 minutes late to service into the second song. And it's usually playing then. And my husband will grab his cup of coffee. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll slip out during the last song because we don't really want to talk to people. But we like the messages and we've been challenged by the messages and encouraged by the messages, and it's been great, but that's how my family does church. But as we see in the book of Acts in this early church, that it was impossible to separate church from this true biblical fellowship, and any portrayal of the church without that is a complete farce. But what is it that keeps this community from happening? You know, it can be argued that a lack of commitment and people just don't really want to commit to it. And man, we've got already things going on, so many things going on, I can't really get involved in something else. Um, but another reason that we really struggle with uh, living in community is we don't like to admit our need for other people. 
We sometimes feel like we can do life on our own and would rather keep others at arm's length. And it's easier to keep people at a distance and to have these superficial relationships so other people can't really know what's going on in our lives and hold us accountable and push us and and even um, speak truth into our lives when we may not want to hear it. But it's important to talk about this morning, as we said, that all of us need community, regardless of who we are, regardless of our personality types, whether you're introverted, extroverted, it doesn't matter. All of us were created and designed for community, and the church is to be a people who do life together. And as the early church demonstrated, you cannot do life alone as a follower of Jesus. You can't do it. So please don't buy into that lie. So we see they're committed, they're living together in true, authentic community, and we also see that they have this intense compassion, and they're pouring out compassion on each other. Verse 45 is an amazing verse. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And I was reading about this in a commentary, and sometimes people like read this text and think, man, they were socialists. You know, there was this redistribution of wealth, and it was like they were living in a commune or pooled all of it. And that's not really what was happening here. But, But what was really happening was that they held their own possessions lightly and that they were ready to use them at a moment at a moment's notice for someone else as needs arose. They valued people over their possessions. The early believers were so committed and so devoted to the church and to caring for each other. And you know why they were? Because they patterned their lives after Jesus. They had experienced the gospel. They did life with Jesus. Many of them saw Jesus be crucified and to pour his life out and to give of himself. And so they said, you know, this is the Savior we're following. Being a Christian means one who patterns your life after Jesus. And so this is the way we're going to live. We're going to lay our lives down for each other. And we're going to serve each other. And we're going to care for each other. And we're not going to cling to our own things. But we're going to rather pursue this community and, and the way that we can care for one another. And what's so cool about this is that they didn't rely on the government to meet people's needs. They didn't rely on organizations. But as a need arose, they said, you know what, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to have compassion and I'm going to care for you. Caring for each other wasn't something that just was confined to their church. But then they began to care for the community and care for the poor and see those in need. What's so cool about this text and about the Christian life is it's not that we just meet each other's physical needs. It's not that we just meet each other's material needs, but rather emotional needs and spiritual needs. In Galatians 6.2, we're commanded to carry each other's burdens, and in doing this, you'll fulfill the law of Jesus. The law of Jesus is to carry each other's burdens, shoulder the loads that we have. You know, it could be easy this morning to get up and say, hey, join a community group. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have meals together. You're going to laugh together. You may even cry together. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. All hunky-dory, better roses. It's awesome. And while it is awesome, and while we do want to say, hey, this is wonderful, sometimes community can be clunky. Sometimes it can be messy. Sometimes it can be dysfunctional. Sometimes it can be difficult. And why is that? Because life is that way. And we all have needs. We all have burdens that we're carrying. We all have struggles. And sometimes it's difficult to enter into other people's needs and to really get into the messes and the trenches of life. But you know what's even harder for for us than getting into other people's needs and to carrying other people's burdens? You know what's even more difficult? Letting people carry our burdens. 
and letting people shoulder our loads and saying, hey, you know what? I can't do this. I can't carry this. I need this. I need you. Please, would you help me? How many of you have been to a point where you're saying, hey, I, I need you to show compassion? And, and it's difficult and it's hard. It's hard on both ends. It's hard to, to have compassion on people because it takes sacrifice and it takes a willingness to get beyond yourself. But it's hard to receive it because it takes this humility and it ta- it'll, you're vulnerable and you have to admit that you have needs and that you're weak. And at the end of the service, Craig's going to explain it, but we're going to give you an opportunity to meet the community group leaders here at Stone Oak Bible Church. And they are wonderful people who, who are committed to living in this community and to fellowshipping and to, to, being, uh, to living in communion and community with each other, but also to, to having this compassion uh, and living in compassion and caring for each other. And, and they would love to tell you stories about how this community group has transformed them and how they've seen lives transformed within their group and that there's power and caring for each other. Um, and we could talk about so many stories, but I just have to tell you about my own. Um, these last six months have been the hardest six months of my life. And in no way do I feel sorry for myself or is there a, a woe is me because there are so many awesome things happening. But it was really difficult for us to leave the support system that we had in Connecticut and the church that we love so much and people that we cared about and still care about so much and to go someplace where we really didn't know anybody and, and to be entering into this season of church planting that many of you have been, been involved in at the beginning and church planting is unpredictable and it's difficult and you have to raise your own support. And, and so, but we knew we were called to this and we're super excited to, to jump in and to partner with you all. But we were also in the throes of this adoption and, and you know, not knowing what's gonna happen and the government, at the, you know, the, the, the country that, that our child is from was, is unstable and it's unpredictable and we don't know what's gonna happen and are we really gonna ever even be able to bring her home? And there were so many nights where Ariel and I would look at each other and say, what are we doing? Like, why, what in the world is happening? And I was, in, I was faced with stresses and burdens I never thought I would have. And, and I was just overwhelmed. And there were so many nights when I would literally cry and just lay in bed and think, you know, Lord, okay, you know, I, I believe. I know you've called us here. But I tell you what, the way that our community group rallied around our family, I mean, I, I can be an emotional guy, I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna lose it this morning, but I could. I mean, it was so powerful. The way they, they said, you know what? The tangible thing we can do, hey, we're gonna cook for you and we're gonna provide meals and don't worry about meals when you bring Shannon home. And you know what? They would send us these, these uh, emails and letters of encouragement and Facebook messages when we were in Uganda saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Stay strong, hang in there, man. I know this has to be difficult. And if there's anything we can do, hey, Mike, if you need somebody to go listen to you, you know, if you need to call somebody and just to scream, if you need somebody to pray with you, to cry with you, hey, let me know. People were taking my wife out for dinner and, and they were just loving on our family and serving us in tangible, practical ways. They watched our dogs while we were in Uganda. They, they watched our bunny rabbit. I mean, it's like just crazy little practical, tangible things that they did to have compassion on our family. And you know what? It taught me so much about the gospel. And I would tell you, hey, I grew up in the church. I know the gospel. You know, I'm comfortable with it. But people laying their lives down and people, we can read this text and think, you know what? That's meant for the early church, Mike. That can't be experienced today. Well, yes, it can. Yes, it can. And it, and it is, and it's happening. And we as a church need to continue to pursue this and to continue to pour our lives out for the sake of each other. 
And, and so, you know, there's obstacles to this. It can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. It involves us having to look beyond ourselves and see the needs of those in our groups, but also in our communities, and to see the needs of those in our neighborhood. And before we can see the needs of our neighbors, we got to be willing to know our neighbors. It didn't take, takes sacrifice. But this early church, they were committed, they were devoted, and they gave of themselves and were laying their, life, their lives down. And it produced this unbelievable satisfaction in them. You know, so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we experiencing this? Who are you having compassion on? Who are you really truly meeting the needs and are there burdens that, of others that you really help to, to carry because this is the law of Jesus? But also, are you willing to open yourself up? Are you willing to make yourself available? Are you willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, you know what? I can't do this. I need you and I need, I need this community. I need this compassion. And these early believers, they were doing this. They were pouring their lives out for each other. They were serving. They were giving of themselves and just following the example of Jesus. And you know what it did? It produced this incredible joy in them and this satisfaction and this genuine attitude of contentment. By definition, the word contentment means a state of happiness and satisfaction. This text tells us they had glad and sincere hearts. They gave genuine praise to God in preparation or they, they gave genuine praise to God. And they, they were truly thankful. And this wasn't a farce. This wasn't something that they tried to pretend. They weren't trying to pretend that they're happy and have a smile on their face, but they were sincere. In preparation for this Sunday, I was reading a commentary, and it said that, very simply, the Jerusalem church was joyful and satisfied because its focus was on Jesus Christ. Sounds so simple and so basic but they were so satisfied and so joyful because they were focused on Jesus. They'd experienced Jesus pouring his life out and it was the greatest gift that they could ever receive and it produced this contentment and this satisfaction in them. They allowed the gospel to unite their hearts together and they were a joyful and satisfied people. The early church, they were living in a culture that, where they faced tremendous opposition. I mean, keep in mind, the man that they're professing and following was just murdered. He was crucified, and the government murdered him. And they were like, hey, you know, we don't want to keep this gospel. We, we want to contain this gospel. We don't want you to talk about it. But yet they were so devoted, they were so committed, and they were so satisfied and joyful in the midst of difficulty. And it was because they knew that what Jesus had done for them and the Holy Spirit that was given to them produced this joy that could not be robbed from them. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly a joyed and satisfied people? And even within the church, you know, we're entrenched in a culture and society that's constantly wanting more and is constantly seeking more things and, and is always seems to be discontent. And so what about us? Are we satisfied? Are we content? Whether it's the, the trap of materialism and the need for more stuff or whether it's a mentality of constantly comparing ourselves to other people or coveting what other people have, we can fall into this trap of seeking satisfaction in other things. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will hunger no more. And is that you today? Is that you today that you are saying, yes, Jesus, you know what? Yes, there's stresses, there's difficulties, there's things that we're facing in life, there's all sorts of external things, but I know that I'm satisfied in you because you truly are the only one that can fulfill me. And the spirit that's been given to me is producing this joy in my life. Is that you this morning? Is that me? Is that us as a church? And you know, if it's not, or maybe we, we say, yeah, kind of, 
I want to challenge us to do two things as a church. And write these down. First, focus on the gospel. Following the example of the early church, their focus was on the gospel of Jesus. They weren't worried about the peripheral things of the church, um, but they were focused on on what Christ had done for them and, and the sacrifice of Jesus. And the very reason that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that we're gonna share in a few moments together is because he wants us to remember what he's done for us. Remember the radical act of kindness, of love and generosity that Jesus has shown us and allow it to transform us, allow it to to change the perspective that we have on life and to say, you know what? Jesus really is all I need. Jesus really is the only one that can satisfy me and I'm not gonna be wanting and and I'm, I'm done pursuing happiness and satisfaction and other things because that just leaves me empty. And hanging out next to the cross and remembering what Jesus has done will prevent us from trying to seek our purpose and an identity in anything else. So focus on the gospel. The second thing is to pray. Ask God's Spirit, would you produce this joy and contentment and satisfaction in me? Ask His Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in your life, to fill you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because this is where the early church was. Jesus really was what they had and what they clinged to, and they were content and satisfied. And so does this describe us? They weren't governed by their preferences. They weren't squawking about worship styles or or preaching styles or service order or Sunday school curriculums or the color of carpet that many people struggle with and, and preferences in the church. They weren't quarreling with each other and worried about petty arguments Um, but their hearts were full of joy because they were living in the power of the Holy Spirit together. And wouldn't that be amazing if people, you know, in our community in Stone Oak said, hey, we were to ask them, what do you think of Stone Oak Bible Church? And they said, hey, they're they're satisfied. They're a content people. They are a people who who are truly full of joy and they have this joy together and I don't understand it. I can't really put a finger on it, but but I want that. And that it was compelling and that it was attractive and because this is, and this is our final point today, the church is supposed to be attractive. The church is supposed to be magnetic. And in this text, it tells us that people saw what was happening in the church and, and people in the community at large saw what was going on and they said, hey, I want that. I want that. And they were gaining the favor with those in the community. And people were jumping in and, and said, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And these believers were devoted to the great commission, and they were living out the mission of Jesus. The word commission is defined as a group of people who are devoted to a particular function. And as I I said at the start, that Jesus commissioned his disciples and said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that they were commissioned by Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you, hey, how many of you have heard that verse before? I think a lot of you would probably raise your hand and say, yeah, I've heard that verse before. You know, and I've heard that verse a lot and many, many times. And a lot of times I think what happens is we, we read this in the context of knowing, okay, that, yeah, that, Jesus was talking to the early followers. And he was saying, yeah, you know what? They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon them, and then they're going to be witnesses. And yeah, that's what happened in the book of Acts. And how many of you view yourself as being commissioned by Jesus Christ? That you are sent out by Jesus Christ? That Jesus has given you the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God? That the same power that, as Paul says, you know, that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has been given to us. We have access to that power. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, I want you. 
I want you to be my witnesses. And how many of us are truly living on mission? When's the last time we've, we've said, you know what, Lord, would you direct me through the power of your spirit because I really want to live out the gospel today and I want to share the gospel today. And when's the last time that we've been intentional about sharing the gospel and sharing it with our neighbors? You know, we may all say, oh yeah, evangelism is important. We want to tell people what Jesus has done for us. But how many of us are actually doing that and are focused on living out the Great Commission the early church, they didn't allow other things to, to trap them. They weren't ensnared by, by the, what was happening and anything externally, but they were completely focused and they allowed the Holy Spirit to use them to be a light in the world. You know, it's our prayer here, and that's one of the values is multiply, that God uses us to bring um, the hope of Jesus Christ to the community, just as the early church did. You know, and, and people saw them and said, yeah, I want to be a part of that. But in a poll that was taken uh, in the secular world about Christians, and they, they said, what's the top three things that you view about Christians? And you know what they said? They were judgmental, they were hypocritical, and they were homophobic. They, they were judgmental, that people are going to come here and they're going to feel like we're judging them. They were hypocritical, that we don't really, we talk a big game, but we don't really walk it, and that we're afraid of gay people. How unbelievably, if that doesn't break our hearts this morning, I mean, seriously, how unbelievably tragic is that? That that's what, what our perception is? And I'm not saying that that's true of, of us, but I'm saying that that is true of, of a lot of Christians. And let's get back to the basics and let's truly be people who are living on mission through the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you today to really look at this. You know, write down these words and go back to them, pray over them and say, Lord, you know, how can I be more committed? And where are you calling me to truly jump all in and not just do church, but God, I want to be the church. Because you know what's so awesome about this picture? Is they couldn't do these things alone. They weren't witnesses alone. And that's why God uses the metaphor of the body of Christ is because it's made up of many parts. And not one part can function properly by itself. And we all need each other, and we do this together in the context of community. May we be like the early church who are completely committed, that we live in community together in this true biblical fellowship, that we have compassion on each other, pouring our lives out for each other and those around us in our community, that we're content and that we're satisfied because of what Jesus has done for us, and that we're focused on the commission that Jesus has called us to. You know, this text is, is so, I think it's wonderful for Community Sunday because we're able to get back to really the core of what happened in this raw, organic, early church that just, bam, Holy Spirit came and this is how they were living. And it's a challenge for all of us to get back to that. But this text also is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ who was completely committed to what it was that the Father had asked him to do. That Jesus was the perfect example of communion and community, that he lived in community with others and poured his life out for others and did life together with others. He's the perfect example of compassion and generosity where he gave up his life and, and wasn't worried about himself, but was worried about others and poured himself out in this unbelievable act of compassion that Jesus was content. And even though he's God, and even though Philippians 2 tells us, you know, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And you know what? It produced this joy in Jesus. And he was satisfied because he was doing his Father's will. And then lastly, 
There's not a better example of someone living on mission and living, uh, being a light in a dark world than Jesus Christ, who, who is the light. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together today, and we could not think of a better way to start the new year together than as a church to separate or to, to um, experience God's, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper together. And we do this together because, and as Brandon and Brian come forward today to play uh, in the background, we do this together as a people. It's something that, that Jesus instituted to say, hey, I want you to do this as the body of Christ, to remember what has been done for us and to allow the gospel to motivate us just as these early church, just as it was for the early church, that they allowed the gospel of Jesus and they, they, they were constantly celebrating the Lord's Supper um, and it reminded them of what had been done for them and it motivated them to live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. And so whether you're a member here or not or a regular attender, um, we invite everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ to join us today in communion. And we're going to make our way to the back in a few moments. Um, but if you've trusted in Jesus to save you from your sin and you say, yes, Jesus, I have a need. I need you. And you've trusted in him to save you. We invite you to participate and, and want to encourage you to use this time as, as Brandon and Brian even begin to play now, to use this time to reflect. Use this time to say, God, where are you leading me? How, how can I really be all in? I don't just want to do church, but God, I want to be the church with my brothers and sisters. I want to live on mission through the power of your spirit and pray and truly may we be a people that are open to the things of God and that may we be a people that are open to his power at work in us. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your son who came to give his life for us. And Lord, that not only did you give us Jesus, but you also gave us the Holy Spirit of the living God that's at work in us. And Lord, you also gave us each other, that we don't do this life alone and that it's impossible to truly follow Jesus alone because that's not what it's intended for. And God, I pray that we would get back to that, that we would be a people who do life with others and that we care for each other, that we lay our lives down for each other. And God, that you produce his satisfaction and joy in us, but that you also use us to bring your salvation to this Stone Oak community and to the city of San Antonio and, and to the world. Father, I pray um, that now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and as we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was poured out for us, God, may it motivate us and may it compel us to live lives sold out for you and for the glory of your Son. In his name we pray.